So when I asked him to help me, and he took me through the steps in the book in a very methodical way, not only did I find a person that I had a relationship unlike any that I had ever had, I also recognized that there was a path that if I would continue to follow every day for the rest of my life, that I would never have to drink again, and that I would have a new way of handling life. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Ooh la la! That! What? What? Hold on. Before I go into that, I do not believe I have ever used the phrase or word, I guess, ooh la la in my entire life, but the phrase came to my little pea brain as I was approaching this mic here, and so you get to savor that word along with me, Uh, ooh la la. (laughs) You know, stepping up to the mic does strange things to individuals. Well, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't want to speak for everybody, right? I don't want to generalize like that and say the mic affects everyone in a strange way. But for me, stepping up to the mic here and uh, chatting, talking, uh, uh, putting my words out there in the universe, whatever you want to call that, does some very strange things to me. But nonetheless, ooh la la, let's go back and start over again. That was the voice of my <laughs> of my friend David G, which I know so many of you are going to be excited about, that you heard at the beginning of this here episode number 261, episode number 261 of Sober Speak, and you will be hearing so much more from Davido. Davi, is it David or Davido? I can't remember. I, I'm trying to pronounce uh, 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 David in Spanish, and um, I don't know exactly what it is, but I think I'm close. Nonetheless, uh, that was his voice that you heard at the beginning of this episode, and you will be hearing so much more from him in just a moment. But first, things first, because we want to put the first things first. You don't want to put the first things second. You want to put the first things first. This episode is brought to you by Rachel and Gazem and David and Kate, Marie and Michelle. Guess what Rachel and Gazem 
and David and Kate and Marie and Michelle did. Well, they went to that little thing we have called a website, www.soberspeak.com, not clom. They, they clicked on the little yellow donate tab and they made a contribution. So thank you so much, Rachel and Gazem and David and Kate and Marie and Michelle. This here episode is coming right out to Ewan's. I, John M., yes, 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 just another bozo on the bus will indeed be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get cranked up. Um, so I've had a few people write me lately and ask, you know, how can I access the podcast? And, you know, I, I know how to access podcasts, but not everybody does. So let me just kind of give you a few places where you can access it. You can access it on Spotify, Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, which is formerly known as iTunes, Google podcast. By the way, if you're listening to this right now, and I'm happy this is just, it just occurred to me. I've had people writing in uh, saying they've heard the podcast and then they asked me how to access it. But if you're listening to this, you would actually be accessing it. But okay, let's just let that one go and uh, list out the other uh, places where you can uh, access Sober Speak, a meeting between meeting at your fingertips. Ooh, just want to throw that in there. Anyway, uh, you can also access it on Podbean, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. In fact, if you have one of them little devices in your house and you want to say, hey, Alexa, by the way, I, I had done this before. I had to, I have one of those here in Studio AA, and I had to disconnect it because every time I would give this example, it would start talking to me. But anyway, you can say, Hey, Alexa, um, what do you say? Uh, play Sober Speak podcast, and it should come up if that is your jam. If you like doing that, if that is the way you like to listen to podcasts, feel more than free to do such. All right. Now on to our featured guest of the week, David G is going to be sharing with us. And uh, the the subject of this particular here, for the most part, the subject of this here episode is sponsorship. As we have done many times with David G, for those of you who have not heard him before, he's been on the podcast many, many times, but we have done this in the past with David. Um, we sit down beforehand and we, I mean, it's real informal and very quick. You go, what do you want to talk about today? Uh, how about this? And we kind of come up with a subject and we'll start going down one road. And then I either think of something else I want to talk about and I ask him a question or he thinks of something else that he wants to talk about. And it just kind of goes off on that tangent. And so this is another time where we started down one path and we ended up uh, meandering over to some other topics. Uh, I, I just like saying that word, meandering. I don't know why, but uh, so anyway, we meander over some other topics and uh, uh, we end up talking about, for the most part, we talk about sponsorship. 
what to look for in a sponsor, David's roots in sponsorship, uh, how he learned the basics and how he continues to sponsor today. Oh, you know what's very interesting here? Oh, this is, oh, this is like a, a, a twist of fate in some form or fashion because I, I, I should turn all this stuff off, but I'm not. But at this very moment, my sponsor, Bob, is actually calling me on the phone. Now, I'm not going to take the call, but I can see it coming in. And he's calling me because I called him just a little bit ago. I don't know, 30 minutes, an hour or something like that, because there's some things I needed to talk to him about. And he's calling me. And as I am talking about sponsorship, so, so strange. What do you call that? Serendipitous? Is that the word? Uh, or something like, you know, all the, the planets align just as they, they should or something like that. But nonetheless, I'll call Bob back after I uh, get record, get through recording this here episode. But anyway, we talk about sponsorship uh, with David. Uh, we get down to... I guess what I would call brass tacks. In other words, David is fairly detailed about how he takes people through the steps. Uh, if you're new to the podcast or to AA or to any of the steps programs and you have heard uh, people taking, people say, you know, okay, so and so is taking me through the steps. And, and you think to yourself, what does that mean? Well, David kind of talks about that uh, in detail. And uh, uh, David is also someone who uses the 12 and 12 when uh, walking people through the steps, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and this gives you an idea of uh, basically, like I said, one way of taking people through the steps. David also talks about his stepbrother, Jeff, and how his brother was uh, lost uh, to this insidious uh, illness and uh, David talks once again about something that is down here. I'm sure they have it in other parts of the country, but it's known as the five alive. In other words, it's a few simple rules, which David learned from his sponsor Clovis in order to stay sober. All right, everybody. Enjoy David G. And guess what? We will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of David's episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody, so we are once again here, face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, with the, the one and only Mr. David G. So, David G., go ahead, introduce yourself, please, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people where you live. All right, this is David G. I'm an alcoholic, drug addict, a general freak of nature at times in my life. I live in Frisco, Texas, and I've been sober since September 15th of 1993. Yeah, you live basically... Blocks away. Uh, yeah, blocks away. <laughs> if you wonder why I'm on here so much, it's convenience. <laughs> well, and you do a good job, and I get a lot of people asking you to come back on the pod. But speaking of how, how long you've been on, the last time we actually released an episode for you was in August of 2021. Now, that doesn't include, I, I did release an episode for you called Oklahoma Citywide, which was, a, which was a live recording, but it's been quite a, it's been quite a while. Yeah, we, I didn't think it'd been that long. Right. It's been, 
I, yeah, I can't even believe it. You, as you know, we've tried. See, here's the thing. I, I usually just get people like on the schedule, right? Which is what we ended up doing this time. But there are times where I go, oh, well, there, I, see, I see you in meetings all That's the time, right. as you know. And I think I'll just grab David this week and we'll just go over and do it. And then I, I get backed up and then, you know, you go out of town or whatever and, and our schedules just don't match up. And so I swear I'm not that busy. It just seems like it. <laughs> and vice versa. Uh, the last time, in fact, I, you know, I don't, if you want to talk about this, you can, if not, I bleep it out or whatever, but we were scheduled to record. It was when you were out of town, which is so weird. You went to the lake. Oh, that's right. That's right. And you were set up, you had taken a mic with you, I believe, and yep. we were going to record you remotely. Um, and you want to talk about what happened and why you couldn't record? Well, it was t- totally just emotional not sleeping the night before. I had had a bunch of stuff happen and I was up all night. And when it got close to time to meet with you, I just said, you know what, John Michael, I don't think we need to broadcast crazy today. (laughs) So I'll do it if you want, but you may not like what you get because I'm feeling a little nuts. And there's something else I want to talk to you about real quick before we get started on, you know, where we're going here today, where we kind of left off last time. And that is, I was in a meeting with you Oh, it was it was a uh, it was a week ago. In fact, it was on it was on Saturday at that meeting that we go to called Frisco Fourth Dimension on Saturday here in the Frisco area. And during that meeting, there were people that were cross talking, for lack of a better word, and they were talking about you and <laughs> awkward. And they were saying something to the effect of, you know, with that David, when I first heard him, I really didn't like him. I just thought he was just, you know, kind of obnoxious or whatever. But now, like, I love what he has to say. And I had, I don't know if you remember, I I, I told you this. Yep. I had a similar experience. Yep. Uh, because you're, you're very intense about what you share. Uh, and, 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 and the method in which you share. And, uh, I remember saying to you that as soon as I realized, and this just took like a couple, three weeks with me, whatever it was, but as soon as I realized it was not personal toward me, he wasn't coming at me because sometimes that's what it feels like. Uh, I realized, oh, this guy's got a lot of good stuff to say. So do you get that very often? Yes. Um, I I would be the person in the room that between 1987 and 1993, if I thought about a person like me, it would only be negative and hostile. And if I spoke about a person that acted like me, I would say untowards things about them. You know, I, uh, on September 15th, 1993, the day I got sober, After I recognized that I had not truly worked the 12 steps the way people talked about working 12 steps from the book, a few minutes later, as I was showering, you know, one of those good 15, 20 minute showers that you just wish you could watch, wash all of the grime out of your whole system. I realized that I needed to ask someone to help me work the steps. That was the opposite of the people that I had always asked Mm -hmm. a person similar to the way I am now, a person who seemed to have some grasp of what they needed in their life to get better. 
a person who at the time I thought sounded like a know-it-all. I used to call them big book thumpers and AA Nazis and wannabe gurus. You've heard me say that many times. And it was basically people who talked with a confidence about what they did with their program because I thought they were just grandstanding, try to impress people to, uh, I don't know, be like the coolest person in AA. I did not understand that they were there for the same desperate reasons that I was there. I thought they were there to be like the student body president. Mm -hmm. And it, it was, it's very relatable to me when people say stuff like that to me, because I have felt that way many times through my life. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not trying to um, label myself as a successful person, but what we're talking about is long-term sobriety in AA and I've had long-term sobriety in AA. And so in that sense, there is success in my life. And I always found a way to devalue successful people around me. I did it in school with the people who got better grades than me. I did it in sports with people who were better than me. I always found something about them that they got the breaks and I didn't and it wasn't fair. And that's so when someone says something like that to me, I'm really in a way happy for them in the sense that now they can hear that I'm not talking about them. I'm just talking about me and they can relate to me. You know, I do not believe in crosstalk. You will never hear me in a meeting even congratulate someone for their milestone. I do not, and I know people do that all the time. I think you did it in the meeting today, and I'm not being judgy. I'm just saying I don't believe that it's appropriate to make another person the, atten the uh, center of attention during my share. I think that's crosstalk. And I, frankly, I wish the person hadn't called me. I think he said that he was like hearing the Holy Spirit. And yes. that's a sweet sentiment, yes. a little over the top. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is, is that I wish that he would have kept that to himself, just because it made me the center of attention while he was speaking. And that makes me feel awkward and uncomfortable. And I don't want to do that to other people. Yes. Okay, so I just kind of uh, changed my, th through talking to you. Yeah. Or, or through listening to you, I should say, I, I just kind of changed. Uh, we may get back to what we were <laughs> going to take the right. We were going to take the middle of the twelve step because that's the last one we did. The last one that we did. Well, there was a couple things that happened on episode number one hundred seventy one. It was called having had a spiritual awakening, and it was basically the beginning of the twelve step, and we went all through that, and then. When we got to episode 198, the idea was to take the middle of the 12 step uh, as a result of these steps. And we may end up talking about that. I don't know. We'll, we'll just see where the spirit takes us here, so to speak. But I also, I, one thing I want to make sure that uh, we, we end up talking about with you, because you have more experience in this arena than anybody that I personally, well, uh, you're, you're at least top three. And, and what I mean by that is, is sponsorship. Mm -hmm. You sponsor a ton of guys. You always have. It's a, uh, uh, it, it's a strong suit. It's something you're gifted at. Um, and a lot of guys are, it, you are one of those people also that when people come into a meeting, they're usually looking for a leader. Right, somebody who does know what they're talking about, and you attract that that those individuals, which is great. So, I want to talk to you a little bit about sponsorship and and um, how you do it, uh, 
What's the evolution been like of that for you as you're moving through your sobriety and kind of just some general thoughts you have about sponsorship? Okay. Well, the first thought that goes through my head is, goes back to my childhood. And I think one of the things that led to my alcoholism and is a big component of my alcoholism is I didn't feel a real anchorage to anything. The things that I was taught about religion and family and school and sports and society and politics just all struck me as BS. Um, I thought that my parents were hypocritical. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. That we would, you know, they'd have their friends over on Saturday night and, and get high and drink. And then the next morning we'd go to church and they would act all pious and be Brother Phil. And my mom was a minister. And I just, all of those things left me feeling like the foundation under my feet was shaky, like it wasn't real. And, and I, I carried that for a long time in my life. And, when I met with my sponsor, Clovis. So real quick. Yeah. And I know you're very close to your sister. Yeah. Uh, did she have the same basic yes. viewpoint of that? Yes. Okay. And we've talked about it a lot. Okay. You know, it's something that we've really talked about through the years that, you know, we were taken care of as children. We had all of our needs met in terms of like, we were educated very well. You know, there was busing when I was a kid and my parents really sacrificed so that we could go to private schools and not get bussed out of uh, our neighborhood into a rough neighborhood. Um, you know, we never went without food or clothing or shelter or any of the basic necessities. But when it came to being important to our parents, um, I think both of us really lacked in that department. They were, they were a little bit hedonists, you know. My, uh, they're both deceased now, so I and I don't even think they would mind me telling this when they were alive. Um, but they were partiers, you know. They wanted to be the cool people, you know. My dad was a dentist, but we had a greenhouse in our backyard where he grew marijuana, and and my mom was a minister, but she liked to party, and and um, and so there was a lot of duality to my my parents, and and the way that came across to both me and my sister, and I don't want to speak for her, but I think that she would agree, is that we were not the most important people in our, our parents' lives. And I know I, for one, longed for something that I can hold on to, that I was important to someone, that I was a priority to them, that I mattered to them more than their own kind of selfish things. And so when I came into AA and I met with, with Clovis, I had never had an, a, re, a relationship with anyone not anyone, not my parents, not girlfriends, not personal friends, no one that was completely based on honesty and acceptance of who I was as a person. And that all came out of step work. When Clovis met with me, he would give me an assignment and the assignments in the, ste in the steps are deep. You know, when you read the doctor's opinion and it tells you, hey, you have an allergy, you have an abnormal reaction to alcohol and drugs and, and a lot of things in life. What does your abnormal reaction look like? What do you do that normal people don't do when they drink? When the average temperate drinker goes to a party, what's the difference between when David goes to a party? And the difference is staggering. The way I behaved in my personal life as a result of drugs, sex, uh, uh, acting out in all different sorts of ways is staggering to normal people. I think it's why when I came to AA, even though I wasn't working the steps, I felt very at home because I was around a whole bunch of people whose drinking and drugging was staggering. 
right? <laughs> um, just extreme. You know, the, the, the line in the book that many pursue it to the gates of insanity or death and then end up in AA. Well, that's what happened with me. But I still didn't have an anchorage. When I was at meetings for from 87 to 93, I was still that same guy. I was the guy who didn't have anything that I really knew how to believe in. I didn't even know what that would feel like because I had never done it before. I had never had an act of faith because I always just basically did what I felt like doing. You know, if a sponsor told me to do something and I didn't feel like doing it, I just wouldn't do it. And then I act like I had. And he wouldn't call me out on it so much. He'd just kind of sit around and wait for me to relapse and I'd disappear and I'd come back and get a different sponsor. And that happened over and over. But when I met with Clovis, I think not only did I ask the right person to help me, which I don't think is a coincidence, because I think internally I had had all of that old way of doing AA that I could stand, you know? And I wasn't in a position where I felt like I could keep going on the way I was going in life, period. And so when I asked Clovis to sponsor me, I asked one of those people who was like I am, which was when he spoke about the steps, he spoke with an authority about what he, not an authority like he was smarter than everyone, but that he actually had something real, something that he continuously did, that he could hold on to and believe in. He had a way of waking up in the morning and what he did and how he faced his day and how he treated other people and how he trusted that God would take care of him, which always struck me as BS. But he did it year after year after year, and I kept relapsing year after year after year. So when I asked him to help me, and he took me through the the steps in the book in a very methodical way, not only did I find a person that I had a relationship unlike any that I had ever had, I also recognized that there was a path that if I would continue to follow every day for the rest of my life, that I would never have to drink again, and that I would have a new way of handling life. And so, let's flip it around. I sponsor a lot of people. I'm not saying a lot of the people that I sponsor stay sober, but I do have a lot of people that I've sponsored sober today. You know, plenty of people have asked me to sponsor them and not followed through. But I'll tell you, this is interesting. Not many people ask me to sponsor them that kind of want to BS around. Typically, they come to me and they're desperate and they're ready to do anything. The problem is so many of them, once the thing that made them desperate gets better, like their wife takes them back or their job takes them back or they get back the keys to their parents' house or whatever it is that got them to come, they taper off on calling me, taper off on doing things. So it's not a matter of the the instructions that I'm giving to people because of the exact same instructions. I have probably 15 spirals of times I've been through the steps and every one of them follows the same instructions. Okay, so let's talk about that. Yep. So um, there's a lot of people that look for, well, not only, uh, I, I, I get a lot of people that, that write me, and they want people to sponsor them, and they'll say it's it's one of the most, I guess, um, common questions that that I get. Right? People they say, "How do you pick a sponsor? You know, what's a good sponsor? What should you know?" Hey, like somebody asked me to sponsor them, what should I do? So, if you think about, uh, if somebody comes up to you and they say, "What what should I look for in a sponsor?" What what what's your first thought on that? My first thought goes back to what my problem was for a long time and it was a convenient problem and that is i would ask people to sponsor me that i thought were cool 
you know, easy going, easy to be around, funny. Um, cause I didn't know what to look for, you know, and the difference between September 14th, 1993 and September 15th, 1993 is I had a recognition that I needed to ask someone to help me that had something that I didn't understand. You know, my understanding was killing me. And so I asked, it's exactly what you talked about in the beginning. This this person who comes in and says, you know, when I first heard David G, he seemed like a loudmouth, know-it-all, obnoxious, blah, blah, blah. And I relate to that, you know? When that guy said that at the meeting, I said, yeah, I get that a lot. I get it. I, I, I had that opinion of a lot of people, including Clovis, who helped save my life, right? So what I would say to your question is simple. If you have asked people to sponsor you for years— and it has not been effective, ask someone to sponsor you who you really don't necessarily like that much, but has a message that has been consistent, and their life appears to have gotten better and better. Gotcha. My picker was broke. <laughs> not just in romance. <laughs> My picker was broke in the sponsorship arena. <laughs> okay, so when you think about them, like somebody who asks you to sponsor uh, and they want you to take them through the steps. And like you said, and we, if you've been around for any length of time, you know that s some of them are just going to flame out. Some of them keep going. You know, some of them you create lifelong friendships with. There's a little bit of everything yep. in there, right? But what is the, the basics? Like when you start taking somebody through the steps and I say, okay, David, w what do I need to do? What does it look like? And, and let, let me preface it by saying this. I know that there are a lot of people, and I think you're one of them, right? You'll go through every line in the big book with them, reading it through. Like, And I, I'm just not one of those guys. I don't know if I don't have I don't patience. do that. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I don't do that. Okay. So what what do you do with people then to kind of take them So if you the asked steps? me to sponsor you, the first thing I would ask you is if you had a big book. And if you said yes, I would ask you if you've highlighted in the big book. And if you said yes, I said, what colors have you used? And if you said yellow and orange, I would say, okay, go get a green highlighter. And I want you to start at the preface and I want you to highlight anything that sounds like the solution, the problem of alcoholism and anything that sounds like the solution to the problem of alcoholism. And the reason for that is the big book's written like that. It says problem, solution, problem, solution. It tells us what's wrong with us, what we have to do. That's kind of how the book is written. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I had no... I mean, and I don't ask him to use different color highlighters, although some people do, and I'm cool with that. If yeah. they want to use like an orange one for the problem and a green one for the solution, that's totally fine. It's great. And, and I give him an example. You know, it talks about the allergy and it talks about our abnormal reaction and, and that type of thing. That's a problem. And then I say the solution the psychic change, being recovered, uh, uh, having so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol. I point those things out just in conversation. I say, okay, I want you to highlight from the preface to the doctor's opinion. I want you to get a cheap spiral that has a cover that you can write on the inside, not a plastic cover. And I'll tell you why when, you, when we meet. And I want you to meet me here. What's a good day for you? And we meet at the meeting. Then we go to my house and we read what they highlighted. So we go through the book together and we read what they highlighted in that section. And we talk a little bit about things. And if they miss something that to me is so important that I don't want them to miss it, and there are things like that, mm -hmm. I will say, hey, what do you think about this? Look at the third paragraph, the second line where it says, we have recovered. Doesn't that sound important? 
So if anything sounds like recovered, which is what we need, let's go ahead and highlight that next time. But don't worry about it. Well, and I in, in that first assignment, I kind of show them what it is that I highlighted and what they might look at. And you, and I see as they go along, as we go into chapter one and chapter two and chapter three, they're highlighting more and more and more. And of course, chapter two and chapter three, it's almost impossible not to highlight a lot of the paragraphs in there. So it takes longer to meet with them. Because they're reading the book to me, and we're stopping and talking about certain things. Like when we get to the section in chapter two where it talks about the way, or I guess it's chapter three, where it talks about the ways that we've tried to control our drinking, Mm -hmm. instead of having them read all the things in that paragraph, I'll say, tell me a few ways that you've tried to control your drinking. You know, My big one, when I was like a freshman in high school, I decided that I was no longer going to buy marijuana. That I was only going to smoke other people's marijuana, and that was fine, <laughs> which was cool until my friends got sick of me growing, smoking their marijuana, and then I'd have to buy some to share. But of course, I'd smoke it all myself, you know. So that was like my first attempt at regulating my drinking or drugging, and so I asked them to do that, you know. And in I mean, I could go through all of the steps in the process through chapter two, chapter three, but we basically do a chapter up through chapter five. And then in chapter five, I have them read and highlight it, but then we stop at the instructions for the fourth step, you know, and we do get on our knees for the third step and hold hands and do the whole third step. Yeah. Okay. Which is on page 63 for those of you. And so let me say something about that. That is where this relationship with Clovis came from. Mm -hmm. In other words, we didn't sit and BS. We, we, we did that eventually because we became such good friends, so we talked about everything. But in the beginning, there was enough stuff to talk about in how I related to more about alcoholism and we agnostics, you know? We talked about God. We talked about my religious upbringing and my parents being stoners and my dad being a Baptist deacon while my mom was a Methodist minister and how I just couldn't get my head around their lifestyles and the way they parented me. And we went through all that. And so we had very deep, let's get to know each other, who are you as a person, where really for the first time in my life, and I don't know why maybe God did this for me, I don't really know why i felt completely comfortable telling him every single thing about me that i was aware of and there were things that i told him about myself and they weren't the obvious things you know some of the really gross disgusting behavior i was kind of proud of that and i would talk about that in front of people just to shock them but more the way i felt so uncomfortable in my own skin the way i felt inadequate you know the way i felt unloved you know, and I had never been able to talk about that with anyone. You know, if I tried to talk to my mom about not feeling loved, I mean, what she would have said is, oh, honey, you know, we love you. And that was, that was supposed to be the end of it. But with Clovis, I got to talk about it with him. And he was like, you know, I felt that way too. You know, my, my mom and dad loved me, but I, I wasn't getting from them what I needed. And I'd never had conversations like that with anyone, much less this man mm-hmm. who I had only known for a brief time. And that relationship, I believe, was the springboard to everything about my life today. I'm not saying it's the reason for it. I'm saying it's where it started. And so the relationships I've had with all of these sponsees and with you and and with, uh, you know, different people in the program who I'm not their sponsor, but they say, hey, man, can we talk after the meeting? And because they know because I'm open in meetings about my failures and they've had those failures and and they know they can trust me not to tell other people. And in all of those relationships, you know, there are people at every AA meeting I go to 
every single one, be it the Preston group or the Frisco group or the Prosper group, at every single group that I have sat alone somewhere and talked about the most important vulnerable places that we have. And let me tell you something, David the crackhead wasn't having those conversations with people. And I was desperate to have them and I didn't even know it. And sponsorship made that possible for me. So this is just a thought that came in my head. It's kind of turning a corner a little bit. I know you, I don't know if we've ever talked about this on mic or not. I know that you had another sibling. Yes. A brother. Yes. And I don't know if we've talked even much about that. Yeah. Just me and you. Mm-hmm. But there's something inside me that's kind of telling me to ask you about it and let's have a conversation about it. Um, tell me about your brother. So Jeff was my stepbrother. And he was my stepbrother since he was a little, very little boy. My dad and mom divorced when I was nine. Uh, Debbie, my new stepmother, had been a friend of the family for years. And Jeff and I had played together since he was too small for a big wheel. And so he and I were always friends. We played a lot together. We spent a ton of time together, went on vacations together. Um, And he was younger than me. And he, I think... As he got older, this wasn't the case. But when he was young, like junior high and stuff, he really looked up to me. I was in college, and and he looked up to me, and it was not a good person to look up to. I mean, I think in some ways, Jeff kind of idolized me. I could be way off on that. But when I would hang out with him and go out with my friends, I could tell that he was really trying to show me that he was cool too, you know? And a lot of that involved, of course, when you hung out with me, you were doing drugs. And he was already doing drugs at a much younger age than I had started. I don't know what my influence over that was. You know, my dad had was a dentist, and at that time, dentists kept at least my dad, the dentist, kept uh, a lot of pills around. You know, you could go to my dad's office and he would have Percocets and Furanol. Like when I was a kid, when we got a headache, we took a Furanol, which is a controlled substance to get rid of our headaches. I'm talking when I was 10. And I think Jeff probably went through that too. And, um, and as he got older, he had some really bad situations occur in his life, some directly as a result of his using. He was in a fatal car crash when he was 16 years old, and the girl in the car with him was killed, and he was at fault and was on drugs at the time, and, and there was a big legal battle and all that. But the truth was, I could see that Jeff, he was really, you know, I talk about shaky ground. Jeff was on really shaky ground, you know, and no one really knew what to do about it. I know my stepmom uh, uh, just loved him, and I'm I'm friends with my stepmom still today, even though my dad and her got divorced um, before he died. We're still very friendly, and she knows uh, how much I cared for Jeff. Um, I don't think she knew that until the past few years. Um, and, uh, but I know that she did everything that she thought she could, but th- the truth was Jeff just could not get on track you know he got knocked so far off track and uh and when he was in his mid-30s he finally after spending several bouts in uh, prison and jail and um uh, attempts at sobriety that were short-lived um to give you an example the last time i spoke to jeff he was calling me to make amends to me he had i had paid for him to go to a sober living about a year or two before, and I'd paid for a couple months, 
and he called me to make amends to me. He wanted to, he wanted me to know that he he didn't realize that my dad hadn't paid for it. He didn't realize that I had actually paid for it and that he wanted to pay me back. And I said, you know what, man, you don't have to pay me back. It would really pay me back as if when someone came along that you could help, that you would do that for them. That would be all that I needed. And that was the last time I spoke to him. A few months later, he they found him dead. He had asphyxiated on his own vomit uh, from taking too many pills. And, um, and it was just a really heartbreaking thing to me, you know, it, it, it feels like inside of me and I, and I'm feeling emotional about this, that I had a way bigger influence in influence on him as an active drug addict than I was able to have on him as a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, because I tried to get him to come to meetings with me. I tried to get him into sober living and to to to, to walk this path with us because I knew he needed it desperately, you know, and he just could not, for whatever reason, you know, some of us just can't do it, you know, and it's a little bit heartbreaking to me because let me tell you, Jeff was the the nice guy. He was. Um Anybody that knew Jeff, he was the guy that at Christmas would open Seth and Libby's presents with them and put together the mousetrap game and play with them for hours, you know? He was just a sweet, gentle, kind person with a really bad drug problem. Thanks. I, I don't, like I said, I just, I, I don't think we'd ever talk about And we about do that. need to. You know, I, I want Jeff, I put his picture up on Facebook. I know that's maybe lame, but it's the best we have sometimes, you know, to remember him, you know. Um, I just want him to be remembered. And uh, I, I just went uh, maybe three or four months ago, me, me and Seth and Libby, and and uh, we all went out with Debbie to uh, my stepmom to the Arboretum where she bought a bench in his name and we had a picnic at his bench, you know, just trying to remember him. You know, there's so many souls that just get lost in time because of this disease they just disappear it's like that's like they just vaporize you know and i always thought i'd have more time with jeff you know we were a little bit estranged because of his disease and my recovery they didn't mesh right but i always believed that eventually jeff was going to get it and that we would be friends that we would be able to be close again and it just it didn't happen you know the drugs and alcohol took him Thanks for sharing that. Okay. Um, all right. So let me segue them back to, I, like I said, that just, it came to my mind and I just. Yeah, well, I'm glad. I, I, I always, I want to be reminded and remind others of, of him. You know, maybe some of his friends that are out there, you know, his cousin passed away from this disease. His, he was his closest bud. You know, I hope that somehow what happened with Jeff can become someone's sobriety. You know. All right. Well, let's segue back then into the sponsorship. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, I, I I know what you were saying. What you do with folks, you know, just basically the the highlighting and you know the the recovery and the you know what's the problem and all that sort of stuff. And then you and then you talked about the third step, and then you kind of got up to the fourth step, and yep. I. I think I stopped you right there. So yep. when you get to the fourth step, is it the traditional three columns, fourth column? We do it straight out of the book. We add the fourth column, which really isn't in the book, right. but you know, it's in the book, but it's not in the book. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> and I do four columns on everything. So, you know, like, you know, we have what we resent, why we resent it, how it affects us, uh, our part, you know, or our faults. Uh, in the fear inventory, we have what we're afraid, what name the fear, second column, what it is that, about that fear that we fear. The third column for my sponsees is how did self-reliance fail me? And then the fourth column is based on that, that sentence that says, just to the extent that we do as God would have us, are we able to match calamity with serenity? Kind of the what would Jesus do thing, you know? <laughs> I mean, no matter how I feel about it, how should I really behave in the circumstances, right? right? In the sex inventory, it's the same thing. You name the situation or the person. You name. You write about what was the situation. You write where you were selfish, dishonest, self-seeking. Where did you arouse suspicion or jealousy? And then in the fourth column, how should I have behaved? And through that, we form a sane and sound sex ideal. And it's the same thing, really, to me with fears and resentments. Through that fourth column, I developed a sane ideal for how I'm going to live. And really, this is kind of a perfect place to say, I believe that this is where I began to feel the ground under my feet get solid. Right, began to, okay. you know, it, doing step two, one, two, and three with my sponsor. A lot of wonderful things happened. A lot of big conversations. But when I wrote this stuff and then sat with Clovis for my fifth step, and we went through it in a way that was loving but serious. Right? It's he didn't let me off the hook about anything, but he also let me know that it's okay to be fallible. It's okay to be a failure. It's okay to be sick and do sick things and hurt people in this context. And it was in that, I remember the day after my fifth step, we did it in the middle of the night from like 11 at night till four in the morning. And I got up, you know, I went home and went to sleep and I did my little six and seven before I went to bed. And I woke up at about 11, 15 and rushed to get in the shower. And I remember walking into my meeting and I can still picture it in my head today. And this is like 28, 29 years ago. And I remember looking around the people in the room at my AA group and seeing them in a completely different way than I had ever seen them. No matter if they were newcomers or old timers or middle, whether they were people I enjoyed listening to them share or they were pains in the ass, no matter what they were, whether they were rich or poor or, or businessmen or vagrants, you know, we had it all. We were in North Dallas and there's a lot of everything. I remember realizing at that moment that every one of those people was at that meeting for the exact same reason I was. And I'd never felt that way. I never felt that connected to the group of people I was with. I was always at odds. I always could point, I always immediately saw the BS. I could really relate when someone says, well, I, I love everybody in AA, but I sure don't like them. I could relate to that. Yeah, you're right. What a bunch of DBs, right? And at that moment, I realized, you know what? I really do like everybody here because I can relate to their sick. I go to meetings and I really do like everybody at the meeting because I get it. I get why sometimes they say stupid, inappropriate things because they feel anxious and irritable and disengaged and empty. And all I really want to do for that person, and it's not my role for every person, right? In fact, for most people, it's not. But all I really want for that person who is being the idiot in the room is to do this deal so they can have solid ground under their feet so they don't need to act so weird and inappropriate and unhappy. And that's where I got it. I got it in the steps. I got something that I could talk about and be authoritative about it 
because it was so true in my life, instead of being authoritative about it, because I thought I had to convince you that I knew everything because my ego was so desperately seeking your approval. So, uh, and more back to the technical pieces. So, you know, what I'm thinking of is, it's interesting. I, I understand everything that you're talking about, but until people actually take somebody through these steps or they do them themselves or, you know, you're coordinating if they're coming to your house, if you're meeting them at a coffee shop, if you're, you know, which parts of the book you're going to read and all this stuff, you, it's, it's really, I, I mean, practice makes per, well, I don't know if it's perfect, but you know, pre- you, you've had so much practice. Make something it, happen, right? You know how to coordinate it, and and so now you're getting people to the, I guess the 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 fifth step and the sixth step and the seventh step. Yep. So, to, on a technical kind of basis, what do you, what do you do to take them through that part of the steps? So obviously, we do what the big book says after the fifth step. Um, depending on how long someone's been sober, because I have people that I sponsor and we go through the steps that have been sober for years, I may or may not bring out the 12 and 12 and cause step six and the 12 and 12 is crazy on point, you know, about, you know, how we all have these, uh, uh, natural desires, but we let them go beyond their intended purpose. You know, that there's nothing wrong with wanting to have money to take care of our lives and be healthy, happy people, but being miserly or greedy or ostentatious or taking it over the top is is where we get sick. And the book describes it as the measure of our character defects. And so there may be people that I do that with, but a lot of times we just go into step eight. Now, as you know, because you've been around me a lot, there is a section in step eight of the 12 and 12 that I now read to every single person that I go through the steps with. And it's talking about the harms done others and the harms we do there ourselves. And so this is a little bit of a new wrinkle probably over the past decade, that when I have someone do their eighth step list, not only do I have them look at how they harmed the people in their lives and be very direct and specific about the way they harmed others, but after they've done that, to then look at how that has harmed them. Mm-hmm. You know, I lied to you, I stole from you, and I got away with it, and I need to go fix that. And the book, the 12 and 12 says that this is paramount. Get fixing these things is paramount. But then it says, but equally important is that we extricate from this every flaw within ourselves, and I'm paraphrasing, and, and how we've harmed ourselves. So when I'm able to look in the eyes of the person I love and tell them a complete lie, but be so convincing that they believe me and they're comforted by my lie, when I'm in the same situation and someone is trying to comfort me and let me know that what I think has happened has not happened, and they're saying, no, it, it did not happen, and look me in the eye and, and tell me they love me and they would never lie about this, that it is really hard for me to believe. And it's, it's the consequence of being a liar. You know, Jim Butterly says something so funny, and it's just true. He said he went up one side of the street selling his bullshit and went down the other side of the street buying it. (laughs) And that's the problem for me long-term in sobriety, and it's something that I want people to get started on right off. It's not just the outsides, the external relationships with other people that I need to fix in my eighth and ninth step. I need to do my best to do that, but I better be aware that there's a lot of damage in me that was created by pulling that stuff off. 
I didn't get away with anything. You know, we we talked in the meeting about that a, a little today, and I probably, if I would have been called on, I would have shared about it. And that is this kind of idea that when I am making things right in my life, it is equally important that I am making things right inside of me. You know, I yes, I make amends to other people because I need to get right with them. And even if they were 99% right and I was 1% wrong, or they were 99% wrong and I was 1% wrong, that the reason I look past their wrong is so that I can heal from my wrong. Because no matter what justification I have for being cruel or dishonest, whatever it is, when you take all that away, I still have the feelings of a cruel, dishonest person. And I better get right with that. Yeah. Or I'm going to need to drink again. Yeah. So then the ninth and the 10th and 11th and 12th come up for these guys that you're sponsoring. By the yep. way, I know you've sponsored some women too, but for the most part, yep. it's guys. Um, so when you're taking somebody through that, then, wh- I mean, what are some of the, you know, pages you point them to and, you know, what, what's the j- overall message? Take me through uh, it's, it's For this, for that part, it's more of a discussion. You know, mine changed through the years. For many years, because it's what my sponsor said he did, I just uh, did kind of a mental checklist before I went to bed. I kind of went through the day and did a gut check. Yeah. And so then when I when I met Sarah, she was doing this app, right, that basically went through and asked her all the questions. And I asked her, what are you doing? And this is about five years ago. And, um, and it asked all the questions in the, the 11th step of the, the big book. And so I got the, I had the app. And just so people know, you're talking about page 84, 85, yes. 86, 87, right. where it we says We think about things. the 24 hours ahead. And then when we, then it says when we retire at night. Which is super confusing, because to me, this is inventory, but they're calling this meditation, but it really doesn't matter. (laughs) When I retire at night, and I don't do this every day, but I do it often, I go through those questions now. And what I discovered, and it has really made a difference in my life, and I typically only do it on days that I'm having a bad day, like something is eating at me, and if I will go into my phone and turn on this app and go through the questions, I'll be able to sleep. And sometimes I'll forward that to you if I think we need to talk about it. I used to forward it to you a lot, but then I thought, this guy doesn't need his phone to ding at one o'clock in the morning because I can't sleep. But anyway, when I go through it, what I discovered that I had not known, and remember, that's five years ago. I was 24 years sober, 23 years sober, is that the way I did my 10 and 11 at night, all I ever did was think about what was wrong with me. When I did the gut check and I got a sinking feeling in my stomach, I would go back through the day and think, what happened? Did did I, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. I need to fix that. And maybe I'll fix it right now or maybe I'll fix it in the morning. But what I didn't do is I didn't say, what did we pack into the stream of life? You know, I didn't ask myself, had I been selfless today? Had I thought of other people? And the truth was, I spent a lot of years in Alcoholics Anonymous doing tons of things for other people, and instead of feeling good about myself as a person and having better self-esteem, I began to become irritated that people wanted stuff for me all the time. And I believe it's because I wasn't taking the time at night to appreciate that God had made me a person capable of doing things for other people without expecting anything in return. 
That's interesting. Yeah, I, I know that line. Is, it says, um, were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? Or right. were we thinking of what we could pack into the stream of life? And and I've, I've always kind of seen that on the negative side of it. Yep. As opposed to the, you know, or were we thinking about what we could pack into the right. stream? I, I, I've always kind of considered it to be, and I'm not saying this is right, right? It's interesting having this discussion in that I've always thought of it like, uh, you know, we're trying to, you know, come up with the, how we've been a bad boy, so to speak, and we weren't, uh, uh, were we thinking of, you know, uh, 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 were we thinking of ourselves most of the time? And that's usually what I've focused on. So I, Yeah, like kind of spending my time picking myself apart in negative ways and mm-hmm. not being appreciative and grateful for the good things that I've done. What's the name? I'm sure there's going to be people listening right now. They're going, what's that app he's talking about? Do it's you know com- the name of it? Yeah, it's AA uh, Toolkit. AA Toolkit. Yep. All right. And we don't, there's, we, we're I don't not even know a, if it's available anymore. Right. I had, it's funny because when Sarah had it, I looked on my phone and I'd already had it. <laughs> so it, it, anyway, not to push apps or anything, yeah. but yeah, that, that was a big change for me. And I tell people about that, you know, and I'll tell you another thing that I now do with my sponsees that I didn't for a long time. I think it was, it's not about being permissive. I don't boss people around, but you know, the people that I know, and I'm talking about people that I know well. I'm not just talking about everybody. I'm not trying to be like overgeneralized. But the people that I know that really appear to have happy, joyous, and free lives for the most part and intend to be people who are giving back and doing for others and being givers at the group and in apparently in their personal lives go to meetings all the time, right? And so back to that spiral, with the notebook in the cover. We've talked about this before, but I, it can't be said enough, and this is not in the big book. I mean, I guess you could find ways to pull it out of the big book for sure, but it's not like specifically listed in the big book. Um, but it is those five things that I do every day. And when we got to that line in the doctor's opinion where it talked about he is able, easily able to control his desire for alcohol as long as he follows a few simple rules, Clovis had me stop open my spiral and write a few simple rules. One, upon awakening, get on my knees and ask God to keep me sober. Two, read AA literature. Three, go to a meeting every day. Yes, every day. You drank every day, you go to a meeting every day. Three, a four, speak to another alcoholic about recovery. And five, thank God for your sobriety at night. And I'll say this about it. Whenever someone comes to me, almost without exception, that I sponsor, and tells me that the shit is hitting the fan in their life. I ask them those questions. Tell me about what you tell me about your meditation this morning. What did you read? And it's almost always, you know, I didn't read anything this morning. Okay, well, that's cool. Tell me about the, what meeting you went to today. Uh, how about yesterday? Uh, <laughs> and and it's this weird thing. It's almost like going through the steps backwards. You know, where we stop carrying the message. We stop praying and meditating. We stop taking personal inventory. We stop, instead of making our lives with other people better, we start hurting other people. Our character defects resurface. We become resentful, act out sexually, and are fearful. We go back to where instead of turning our will and our life over to the care of God, we're taking it all back, man, because if I don't get this done, my life's over. And we've gone back into the insanity of step two, and we are again powerless over alcohol. 
I mean, it is almost mind-blowing what a recovered person going backwards in their program to the drink looks like. That's a great way to end it. I, that is a, that's a great, great point. I love that there. In fact, I've thought, you know, I've heard you call it the five alive, there, yep. what you just mentioned a moment ago, those five things to do in, in order to stay sober. And I've thought many times about actually putting that on the website, you know, for people to download and stuff like that. Uh, maybe even have a, you know, you know, hey, you know, uh, Anyway, I, well, the one thing I, I'll I say about that, because yes. I do think it's a wonderful part of recovery that I think anyone would benefit from. It has to go hand in hand with working the 12 steps from the True. big book. It, it In and of itself, it is a, a peripheral part of the solution. Yeah. But without the step work to have the psychic change and feel a part of and be a part of, because that's the big deal. Mm-hmm. I never felt a part of and my relationship with my sponsor started me down the path of feeling a part of. Right. Wonderful, David. As always, let's not wait a year again. Yeah, that was crazy. I don't know. I can't believe it was that long. Yeah, it's been that long. Um, as you know, we always read from page 164 of the big book. To here to close us out. It says... Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find to join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and David G., as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you so much, David, for coming on. I really appreciate you, man. Great to be here, man. As a friend as well. God bless you. For sure. As always, David G. delivers the goods. I just love having conversations with him, and you never know exactly where the conversation is going to go. You can see his mind going about a million miles an hour, how he keeps all that stuff in his head. I have no idea, but uh, it is always wonderful to have a conversation with David G. If you enjoyed that, and who did not, and you want to share that episode with uh, another person, just pause your device Hit that little share button and send it on to a friend or a family member. Guess what? It may be just what they need today. We definitely will have uh, David back on in the near future. I just got to schedule some time with him, and uh, uh, he is always full of content. And I mean that in the the kindest way. I mean, he just has so much uh, information Uh, content to share. And I know that the Sober Speak listeners enjoy it and I can't wait to have him back on again. All right. Um, I should have mentioned this at the beginning of this here episode, but I did not. I would you call it making a mistake? Uh, I just, no, not really making a mistake. I just forgot. Yeah, that's a good word. Forgot. So a lot of you have been writing in over the past six, eight months or so, and asking me when we're going to have another Sober Speak Live. So we're going to have another Sober Speak Live, and it's going to be, it's way out now, right? But just in case you are, you know, want to make plans to come from out of town or something, uh, you can. So we got two things going on. On December 2nd, 
Gary Kay, yes, the one and only Gary Kay will be at our Sober Speak Live event. It's going to be at the Grace Avenue United Methodist Church. That's going to be on Friday night. And then immediately following Sober Speak Live, it's going to be the Frisco Party. Uh, excuse me, the Frisco Group Holiday Party. So you got food, that you got you got food, you got refreshments, going to have music, the whole nine yards, but I just want to let everyone that know that's going on. And like I said, I know it's a way, way out, but I just wanted to uh, get a little, uh, uh, just let everyone know, right? Get a little announcement out there. Get, get the get the excitement going. Get it, get it moving. All right, I'll shut up now. Here we go. Now, on to uh, listener feedback, Joshua writes in, and he says, John, I have a tree, and my name is Joshua. (laughs) I'm just kidding. He did not say that. (laughs) That, that is, (laughs) that is me being completely silly. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry, Joshua. (laughs) I have a tree. (laughs) Hey, hey, I I gotta keep this fun for myself. I mean, you know, hey, you come and do 260 or whatever it is of these episodes and try to stay sane and keep yourself entertained at the time at the same time and stay motivated. It is not easy, my friends. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, just cracking myself up. All right. Joshua writes in, he says, Good evening, John M. Well, good evening, Joshua. He says, first of all, thank you for adding me to the Facebook group. Well, Joshua, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you for coming on in. And he said, second, I found your Sober Speak by downloading the big book on my phone and listening to your podcast. And I heard you mention your Facebook page. I'm 41 years old and I've been sober the longest I've been sober since I started drinking day on a daily basis about 20 years ago. Uh, and now it's been about 21 days. Good for you, Joshua. He said, I've found myself at wit's end. Yeah, we all... <laughs> I've heard that a few times from a few folks in the in the in the program, Joshua, finding our finding ourselves at wit's end. He said, with my wife and kids telling me I drink too much. There was never any physical fights, and it was the uh, but it, and it was the occasional argument with my wife. But I was just fed up with my own drinking. We both own businesses, and my life how was just not headed in the right direction I wanted it to. I found uh, I found myself breaking down a little farther every time I picked up a beer. It's a good way to put it, Joshua. He says, I've been to three meetings and met some awesome people. I'm working on step three, but I'm not real sure how to do it all. And that's why I'm taking it 24 hours at a time. I started listening to your podcast about steps two and three. Again, thank you for adding me in the Facebook group, Joshua. Once again, Joshua, the pleasure's all my congratulations on your new sobriety and uh, just stay plugged in there locally with those folks. You know, there's a lot of people with a lot of great wisdom can help you out. Thanks for writing in. Corey writes in and he says, hello, John, my name is Corey and I'm an alcoholic. Hard to say my name without that coming second. Ha ha. <laughs> he says, first of all, let me say how much I love your podcast. This is not the first time I have wrote you. Wrote you. Actually, it's been a while since I've written you, but I did a long time ago. I listen to your podcast almost every Sunday while I mow my lawn 
and 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 uh, let me just say what a pleasure it has been uh, to have your podcast to get me through that chore. <laughs> well, hopefully you're. Oh, you know what? We're coming up on the winter here. I don't know what you're going to do when we hit the winter. I'm assuming you don't live in a place where you have to mow it uh, all year long. But who knows? But hopefully you are actually mowing the lawn. While you're listening to this, Corey, and we can help get you through. He says, it's been a great part of my recovery. The reason, I'm, the reason I'm reaching out to you today is that I'm currently the program chair for one of my districts, oh, Districts 82 conferences, the MOB conference, M-O-B conference in Lake Jackson in May of, uh, in May of 2023. We actually had your friend Jimmy D last year as our Friday speaker. I had the pleasure of being the host for him and really enjoyed getting to know him a bit. We got to chat about you and your podcast as well. That's great. Jimmy D. What? Oh, I got to have him back on as well. Oh, all these things. There's so many things I want to do with the podcast. I, you know, through... Oh, email communications. By the way, if you're not on my list and you want to be, write me at John, G-O-H-N at SoberSpeak.com. We'll get you on there. But through email communications and uh, uh, there's there's just so many things I could do. But I've got this thing called a J-O-B. <laughs> and then I've also got this family. And so it's just, you know, there's just so much time in the world. Anyway, so he says, so this year we have our Friday and Saturday speaker set, but we're looking for a Sunday morning speaker and someone who is local to Houston or the surrounding areas. I was reaching out because I believe I've heard you mention helping find speakers. If you have anyone we can recommend, uh, you can recommend or possibly a list of speakers in the Texas area, that would be great. We're really hoping to find a speaker close to the Houston area, uh, but may reach out a little farther if need be. I appreciate everything you do for this program. I really enjoy the humor and the knowledge that I get from your podcast. I'm a big fan of the Sober Speak tapes, but I really love the added banter. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Some people Uh, may disagree with you, and conversation that comes with your style of the podcast. I was telling my fiance about one of your podcasts a while back and talking about something goofy you had said. Me? Something goofy I said? But then he said, he said, I said, it's pretty cheesy or something along those lines. And then she, my fiance, kind of gave me this look for a second and said, you spotted if you got it. <laughs> Keep doing what you're doing. And I hope all is well there in Dallas. <laughs> well, thank you, a fellow cheester. I appreciate you, Corey. And uh, if your fiance is listening, uh, thank you for pointing out that uh, you spot it if you got it. <laughs> Thanks for writing in. Dunstan writes in and Dunstan says, Hi, John. Uh, so someone from the Orange Park AA group gave me the first four-step worksheets you did. Uh, he's talking about what's on the website, actually. But anyway, so Orange Park AA group. I, I, I'm, I don't know exactly where that is, and I don't think Dunson says, but I'm going to assume it's probably in Florida or California. But nonetheless, uh, he says, I love the four-step worksheets, and I went uh, combing the web looking for the rest, and I found Soberspeak. I'm a about to get my 60-day chip in a few days, and I'm working the steps. Sober Speak uh, still has the four worksheets in process uh, that I'm waiting on, Dunstan. Okay, so 
what he's saying, like if you go to our website, www.soberspeak.com and you click on sober resources, you can see some step worksheets there. However, there's like four worksheets that need to be filled in. So got, oh, so that's four, what, 12. So we got two thirds of the worksheets up there. And by the way, worksheets are all over the place. Uh, and I, you know, I, the ones we have on soberspeak.com are, are they better or worse? I, it's like, it's like, uh, everyone has a preference, right? Uh, and, and I don't know if, if but if, but if there's something there that can help you, uh, I sure hope they can. Obviously it helped out Dunstan. Thanks for writing in Dunstan. James writes in and he says, Hey, I was referred here for something called sponsor, sponsor, uh, sponsee worksheets. I'm not the person who gave me this reference, uh, has the correct place. Okay. So he came in through the website as well. And what he's looking for is some sort of sponsee worksheet. And we don't have a sponsee worksheet. We have several articles on, you know, sponsor and sponsorship and all that kind of stuff. So if you go there and just kind of search for that word on the website, you'll find something. Edna writes in it. Edna says, hi, John. I got sober by the grace of God on September 5th, 1999. And I live in St. Stephen, NB Canada. NB, I believe that is New Brunswick, if I'm not mistaken. She says, I sponsor several women and was on the internet looking for some additional info on step four for one of the ladies that's struggling with the process. And that's how I found your website. And I'm looking forward to sharing it with many others. Uh, wishing you many years of sobriety, one day at a time, your AA sister in sobriety, Edna. Well, Edna, I'm glad you found us. Uh, once again, we have a lot of people finding our, our website through these uh, uh, step worksheets lately, and I'm glad that they are being of service. I'm glad that they're they're helping out some folks. And finally, Jackie writes in and she says, hello, John. Thank you for your website. It's great. Here's another one of these. She says, I have been with hospice for 20 years. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because Jackie had sent in an email or something and I replied to her and without identifying her, I, I realized that she was in hospice and I asked her about it. She says, I've been in hospice for 20 years. I was an RN and became a team manager over a group of people. I retired in 2010, but I do private work for patients who need the end of life care. I find taking care of patients so close so close to death, so rewarding because we can cut through the crap and get down to really deep spiritual conversations. I got sober in 2007 and I have been lucky to live in the Florida Keys with my hubby and my golden retriever. Life is so good these days, about five exclamation points. She says, I found your site Monday and I was impressed with how easy it is to navigate around. I use your step six worksheet and I loved it. I have only started listening to one speaker so far. Oh, I have only listened to one speaker thus far, but I'll be back to listen to more. Thank you once again, Jackie J in Key Largo. That's so cool you do that hospice work. And I mentioned this on um, the Ken D episode that I had released a couple, three weeks back. The Ken D had actually got me started in hospice, and it's, a, it's great, great work. All right, everybody. 
That there is another week, another episode of Sober Speak. I hope to be back next week. God bless you one day at a time. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. And what's the other thing I like to say? Um, Oh, may God bless you and keep you until then. Be well. Love you guys.